0: Welcome to The Jury is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, Tim Cronin, personal injury trial attorney
1: at The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith.
2: This is another episode of The Jury is Out. I'm Eric Veith. I'm John Simon.
0: I'm Tim Cronin. Today, we're returning to tips for taking depositions. In earlier podcasts, we talked about strategy, We talked about goals. We talked about preparation. And we're going to continue with the tips, but now we're going to focus on actually taking the deposition. And I think we're on tip number 30. Be a good listener. Tim, what do you think about that?
1: I think that's incredibly important. And I think, you know, the more you do depots, the better you get at it. It's something that young lawyers really have to learn. And as you learn it more, don't just be married to your outline. Listen to what they're saying. They may give you inroads to get stuff that you didn't even think You are going to be able to get. And it's not just, listen, pay attention to the witness, not just what they're saying, but their body language, their tone of voice. If they start to look uncomfortable, you may know, oh, this is an area I really need to get into. They're uncomfortable with it. Or, you know, their body language may indicate that you think they're not being truthful about something. So, You really need to pay attention to the witness in all respects, don't you think?
0: I do. And I'll tell you why. You would wonder why in the world would an attorney who's asking somebody questions not listen to the answer? Well, let me tell you the main reason. The reason it happens most often is you're in the deposition. You're trying to remember facts. You're trying to remember witnesses' names, what the legal issues are. And it's really tough to listen because you've got all these other things floating around that you're trying to accomplish in the deposition. And I think the way to help you be a better listener is write stuff down, write a little summary of the case down, as we talked about earlier, and know the file. I mean, if you know the facts, if you're going into a deposition and you don't have a good handle on the facts and the witnesses and the names, there's no way you're going to do a good job of listening and responding with good questions.
2: We uh, get used to picking up on these hedge words. As you get more experience, you hear witnesses say, I almost... I'm absolutely sure that I would never have done this thing. And then you're thinking, ah, there's that almost. Sometimes it's blood in the water. These little words where they broadcast that there's something else there. There's an exception to the rule. There's something else going on. Worrying about your next question, you'll miss that. So the next rule, rule
0: 31, and Tim already talked about this. Do not get married to your outline. Tim?
1: Yeah, basically be flexible. Don't be rigid. You can get inroads that you didn't expect by the witness saying something that you have 30 pages later in your outline. Hopefully you don't have a 30 page outline, but much later in your outline. And if you're paying attention to them, they may say something that gives you an opportunity to get what you were planning to get later now and easier.
0: For instance, if the witness suddenly in the deposition says, I saw the defendant driving a hundred miles an hour about a mile back and he was zipping in and out of cars. The next question shouldn't be, How far were you from the light when you, yeah. you know, when you saw the <laughs> what accident? What was the
1: VIN number of the defendant's car? <laughs> right. You might want to go, Oh, he's
0: so, you know, going a hundred miles. You just gotta listen. I haven't had a deposition, I don't think, where I've come away with something good that I didn't know before the deposition. And I got it because a witness took me down a little path I hadn't intended on going down. Yeah. Tip 32, ask short, clear,
1: simple questions. Right. If the jury doesn't understand what you're asking and the witness doesn't understand what you're asking, you're not being an effective advocate. I think, didn't you go to trial school early in your career, John, and they would not let you ask a question with more than six words? Yes, or it was
0: a seminar I attended, and one of the instructors that we had for a day or two wouldn't let us ask any question more than six words, period. Made you think. Part of this, too, is you have to realize, why are you asking the question? Why are you in a deposition asking the question? Because You're trying to elicit information and answer that you're going to use at trial either you're going to use it yourself to advance the case or to cross-examine someone and if the question is so compound and convoluted it's not going to be worth anything to you if it's not a real clear good question
2: the longer the question is it gives the witness who is a hostile witness more opportunity to hide an answer so that short answer just exposes simple idea bit by bit and also you're talking not to the witness you're talking to the jury too every time you're in a deposition Rule number 33, always
0: get an answer to your question. I read a lot of depositions that I didn't take, deposition transcripts, getting ready for trial. I spend most of my time getting ready for trial. I don't see it that often, but every once in a while, I'll see a witness who just is being evasive and doesn't want to answer the question, and it will be asked two, three, four, maybe even five times, and then somebody moves on. That's not acceptable.
1: Yeah, even if the answer to your question, maybe this is all you can ever get, is, Okay, just so I understood, I've asked you this same question five times, and you're telling me you cannot, will not, in front of this jury, ever be able to say yes or no to this question. You will never be able to answer it for this judge or this jury, even if that's all you can get. Yeah, close so, the box. Sometimes, somehow. if it's so egregious, just keep asking it four, five,
0: six, seven times, and then you may want to just take it up with the court later.
2: Yeah. Read your witness, Eric. There's so much information that's coming out of that witness that is not in words. It's their hesitations. It's their pauses. It's their throat clearing. It's their way of answering your question by talking about something else. Don't just like listen to words because you might be looking down at your notes and trying to hear there's a person in front of you and there may be some good clues as far as what's going on in front of your eyes. That can let you know, okay, I need to hone in on this subject with this person. Tip number 34, read your witness. Tip number 35, read opposing counsel. As far as reading opposing counsel, sometimes they get fidgety. That's interesting. Sometimes they stop getting fidgety. They get very still. Changes in behavior of opposing counsel should
1: be noted. Something might be going on. You can usually tell if opposing counsel is getting concerned about it. If suddenly they start objecting much more than they were, you probably need to focus a lot more on that subject matter that you're talking about because they clearly are hoping you won't get answers to it and that you just move on quickly.
0: Yeah, and that would be tip 36, objections let you know you are heading in the right direction. Yeah. Tip number 37, do not leave the deposition without knowing everything the witness is going to say at trial. It's kind of like the whole purpose of the deposition in most instances you want to find out what the witness has to say you really need to do a good job exhausting what they're able to say on particular issues that are important in the
2: case yeah you don't want to walk out of that room and then have a question come to your mind i should have asked this question or think about oh i left them room to Maneuver a trial.
0: Yeah, and don't be afraid the answer is going to be bad for you because if it's going to be bad, you want to hear it in the deposition. You don't want to wait until
1: trial to find out. And explore all of their reasoning and bases for being able to say that so then you can attack that foundation or you know you need your expert to address it. Or So, yeah, not just their conclusions of what they want to say, all of their details and bases of how they think they can say it and why.
0: Tip number 38, know when to hold something back. I think that's gonna depend in part on whether you think that case is gonna be tried or not, Tim, don't yeah, you think?
1: I agree. If you catch a witness lying or caught in an inconsistency, I think how you handled it depends entirely on whether you think you're gonna try that case for sure or you're trying to position it to resolve the case and settle it for the most money you can.
0: If I know there's a fairly good chance that case is going to trial, I'm not laying it out in the deposition for them. I'll get what I need and be very careful about what I ask and how I ask it, especially if i got some dirt on the expert. Not just dirt, but there may be a fact in the case that we know that would affect or change the expert's opinion. And what I'll do sometimes is I'll say, so what about this? What if this fact changed? Would that affect your opinion? And sometimes you can get them down that road.
1: Even maybe a little more sneaky because they might go, oh, that fact's not true. I'll just go, oh, okay. So you've mentioned that fact. That fact is a fundamental foundation of your ability to give the opinion. Yeah. Move on. Yeah. I
0: don't know if that's sneaky. That's called good lawyer. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, Yeah. You call it sneaky. I call it good lawyer. I'm okay with being sneaky. All right. Tip number 39, adjust your tone and approach depending on the witness.
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't wanna just start being aggressive and like, I don't know, a little bit mean with a witness who has not given you an excuse to do so. If they're a really nice witness that's willing to give you everything you need while being very pleasant with them, continue to be very pleasant with them. If it's somebody who's being outrageous and won't answer any questions, you have an excuse to adjust your tone a little bit. You know, nice people need to be appreciated. They seem to be forthcoming, let's have more of that. Number 40. Tip number 40, remember the jury is judging your behavior. Yeah, incredibly important. You're not just trying to get an answer. You're trying to make your case better. But if the jury hates you, uh, you're not making your case better no matter what you're getting a witness to say.
0: Even your own client's deposition sometimes. I've considered cross-noticing and videotaping depositions of some of my witnesses depending on who's on the other side of the case. you know, Every once in a while, I'll have somebody who is sort of a jerk. Having it on video may tone them down a little bit, but more so I can play it and let the jury see what kind of jerk they were being to either my client or one of the witnesses in the case. Tip number 41, don't be afraid to explore other theories. Tim?
1: I think I've mentioned this before. That's one of the most valuable things I learned from you watching you take depots early on in my career. Sometimes the other side and trying to defend what they think our cases, hands you a gift. As a young lawyer, I watched you go into a depot with our theory being one thing, then take something a corporate rep or expert said, roll with it to get them to essentially admit liability based on some different theory. And our case is not only entirely different when we leave, but like admitted and we win.
0: Yeah, that's why the three things, listen, listen, and listen, three most important things during the deposition. Listen, because you're going to get stuff. You're going to get things that are going to help you. Hey, this one is a very practical but important, and that's tip number 42. Make a clear record, especially when using documents and photos. Man, there is nothing more frustrating than picking up a deposition and reading it and the witnesses being asked about a document or, worse, a photo. Show us on the photo where you saw this or where this mark was and they're pointing, and there's no record at all of where they're pointing, nobody's <laughs> circling it, you know, make a accurate, detailed record of everything that's going on in that deposition. If it's a document, get the Bates number, get the exhibit number for that document. If the witness is talking about two or three documents over a 10 or 15-minute period, and they're flipping back and forth with the documents, I'll read a transcript. I'm sure everybody's had this situation where you don't know which one they're on. You got to remember, make a record. If it's a different document, it's a different paragraph or section, give some testimony. You're now on Exhibit 42, and now I'd like you to pick up Exhibit 43 at the bottom on the left. Give them a pin. Make them a mark on the photograph, because without that, it is useless. It's not only confusing and frustrating, but it's useless. So be aware of that throughout. Make a good, clear record.
1: Presentation is everything. You want it to be easy for the jury to understand and engaging. And, you know, if you are reading the depo later, and you don't know what was happening or what document you were on, chances are the jury's going to be lost. Yeah, completely lost. No idea. Deposition tip
0: 43, do not be afraid to ask the ultimate question. How about a driver of a truck and you say, do you believe you were at all responsible for causing this accident? Do you believe you were negligent? That was negligent. Right. Do you believe that was negligent or a doctor? Do you believe your conduct was below the standard? You're not going to get a doctor to
2: admit to that, but somebody who
0: rear-ended your client might be at least open to the suggestion that they caused the accident. You know,
2: this can lead to some good conversation. You know, in your opinion, who's at fault for this incident? And they may object, but, you know, it may get some really good stuff out where the witness might start talking about, well, I think this person shouldn't have done that. And then maybe that'll lead to some more good conversations about what that person did. And you're going to draw an objection
0: every time. Ultimate issue, ultimate issue. Guess what? Ask the question anyway. Subject to the objection, it's an admission. It's an admission of fault by a party in the case. I try to lower the bar, too. For instance, in an auto case, as I said, you're not going to get a physician to admit liability, you're not gonna get a car company to admit their product's defective. But in automobile accidents, car crashes, truck crashes, when it's fairly obvious whose fault it is, you may get admissions. I think you'll get them in most cases if the person's being honest. And I always lower the bar. Don't make it tough for them. You were negligent. Make it something like, do you believe that this collision or this crash was in any way your fault? That way you're lowering the bar a little bit they might acknowledge that, which is just as good as getting them to
1: say it was my fault. Even in a med mal case, lowering the bar a little bit, I've been able to get doctors to make some concession that there was negligence. They may just say it just wasn't me, you know, like that Rogem case I talked about. Like, look, the standard of care required this shot. Somebody breached the standard of care by not giving it. I agree. You're just saying you don't think it was your responsibility. It was someone else's. And then when you take that someone else's, they're more willing to go, I agree it was a breach of the standard of care and it wasn't me, it was them. Right, right. Well, the other thing
0: too, that sometimes I run into when I'm asking an expert the ultimate issue in the case, for instance, punitive damages, conscious disregard for safety. That's a standard in Missouri. And I don't hesitate at all. They ask witnesses, experts, lay folks. I draw an objection. I think when you draw an objection as to ultimate issue, One way to handle that is to phrase it this way, and I think it will take care of the objection in most instances. You can either say, do you agree that the defendant's conduct constituted a conscious disregard for safety? You're going to get an objection, probably will be sustained. I've had that sustained before at trial more than once. I've asked it a different way now, and that is, say it's an expert. Do you believe the evidence in the case would support or could support a finding of conscious disregard for safety? That's a different question. And I've asked that successfully at trial, and that's never been sustained. So I think that's a good approach.
1: And you can ask a defendant, a corporate rep, certainly you can ask them whether something would constitute conscious disregard for safety. And one way to do it, if they won't admit, yes, I consciously disregarded safety, but you can get them to acknowledge, look, if your company or you did X, Y, and Z, which I know you're saying you didn't that would be a conscious disregard for safety. Yes, and you know you have other evidence that they did just that. So next, what we're
0: gonna do now is we're gonna talk about some tips that are practical tips to show you how to handle certain things that come up on a fairly regular basis in depositions, very specific things you can do to help handle these. And the next tip is tip 44, know when to
1: restate and reinforce positive testimony. If somebody gives you testimony that's good for you, rephrase it as many ways as you can to keep driving it into the jury's mind. Beat it into the ground over and over again if it's (laughs) good for you uh, so that the jury doesn't forget it and get the point. Right. And I'll give you an example.
0: I do a lot of car cases. And I had a corporate rep in a car case who I was asking him about something. I don't remember what the issue was. And he said, well, we do that. And my question was, should you? And he said, we do it. And I said, but should you? Do you agree car companies should do that? And then he looked at me and said, We do everything possible to make the safest car that we can. Well, I'd never had another corporate rep of an automobile manufacturer ever say that in a deposition, but he just held his company to a very high standard. And you and, should, because and you, if should, you don't, because right, you can get hurt. Right. And, they and that's can what die. you're telling us. And, you know, I reinforced it. A lot of those come up voluntarily when they say something unexpected. You really want to reinforce it and
2: pin it down. Not to make this too simple, but occasionally the admission, the good statement that came out, sounds pretty good. It could be reinforced, but you might be worried that you should just leave it alone. It might be the best you're going to get. And that's where a lot of experience that's a comes great in. Point.
0: Eric, that is a great point. Maybe something was said that if they thought about it again, they They'd have time to back. clarify it, walk it back. So you got to be really careful about that. you got to be really careful about that. Tip 45, boxing the witness in.
1: You want to avoid the opportunity for creativity at trial to get out of something they said or have some new explanation for what they said. You want to make sure you know exactly what they can say and what they cannot say. And what determines that is your efforts in ensuring it so that you can show the judge if they try to do something else. Judge, I made dang sure that this witness was not going to be able to do what he's doing now. Just read this page of the depot where I said it 900 times. Yeah, and I'll even go a little bit overboard. And
0: a lot of times it's not what they said, but it's what they're unable to say. Yeah. You want to confirm you're not able to say that here. You're not able to give that opinion. And it's because they're being evasive at right. the time. And by the time you get around to trial, unless you really pin them down and box
1: them in, you're going to hear something you didn't hear before. And so and the one court's of the likely let things i say is... Okay, just so I understand, when I ask you that question at trial, you promise me you are going to turn to the jury and you're going to tell them you don't know.
0: Yeah, and I think you can't overdo that through refusing to answer a certain question or refusing to address a certain point or refusing to give a certain opinion because it's not
2: good for them. That's the time to do it is really pin them down on it. Here's a variation of that. You might have an expert who says there's many reasons for saying X. And then you might say, "Okay, tell me the reasons. And they might give you two reasons. And then you need to follow that up. You need to make sure they can't wander around with new reasons at trial. So have you now given me all the reasons? Please state all the reasons. Daniel Kahneman, again, to bring a little cognitive science in, there's this illusion of explanatory depth. A lot of people think, well, there's many. I know a lot of reasons for this thing. The best cure for that, name them. Name the reasons. And you find that people often, after two or three reasons, they're kind of out. And then you can cap it off and you say, okay, so now you've given me all the reasons for concluding this. And then you can work on them, but it's important to make sure they can't wander around with new reasons. That's a great suggestion. Tip number
0: 46, use bracketing for estimating information. I'll give you a perfect example. It happens every time, without fail.
1: How many depots have yeah, you how given how many depots Mr. have Expert? you given
0: Mr. Expert? Or worse, know. worse, how much money have you made yeah. last year testifying in legal matters, helping the lawyers? How much money have you made? Well, I've never had somebody say, you know,
1: $88,243.67. Right. I don't know. I don't know. It's I not a no significant idea. portion of my income. Right. I don't keep track of it. I don't do my book. Like, is did, it more did, than a dollar? Right.
0: I was say, did <laughs> you file a tax return? Did <laughs> yeah. you review it and sign off on it? Is this your only income? Right. They've been deposed 480 times. They know that question is going to be asked in the deposition. And yet somehow... It's just like mind-boggling that somebody would ask them the same question they've been asked 485 times. Every single depot they've ever right, given. Right, and every depot that they've ever given, they've been asked that. So what do you do with that? What I like doing is sort of bracketing. With,
1: I start with two ridiculous yes, extremes right. and, for, and go ahead, And narrowing it.
0: For instance, you say, well, okay, so you're not able to provide me with any information today about the amount of money you made last year in litigation. You can't tell me if it was $20 million. Well, now, hold on a second. I can tell you it wasn't 20. (laughs) And and so, you know, that process begins and pretty soon you narrow it down where you've got a low and a high and maybe they're fudging a little bit and they're a little comfortable with it. The same
1: with distances, same with speeds. How many other patients have you done this before? And I don't know. Okay, well, I mean, is it never? Is this the only time? And you may need to help them
2: in a car case because they might not know feet. You know, I don't know feet. And a lot of people don't. They're terrible
1: with distance, but maybe they know what a car length is. Yeah. And so or a football field.
2: Or a football field. Right.
1: right. Yeah. And even if the bracket is huge, that can still be useful to you. You know, like for an expert with how much money they've made. If they won't get any more narrow than between $50,000 and $3 million last year, that's useful too. Like, okay, so you're under oath. You're telling the jury, you don't know if you made $50,000 or $3 million from getting paid to testify in cases last year or where it is within that range. That's what you're telling them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The whole jury is going to think, well, clearly it's $3 million. There goes your credibility. (laughs) Right. Right.
0: There goes your credibility, not only because of what you're getting paid, but because you're also lying about (laughs) it now. Tip number 47, and this should have been tip number one. I apologize. It should have been tip number one. Do not allow speaking objections ever. Do not put up with speaking objections.
1: Tim? Yeah, I mean, you just cannot let an attorney steal your depot and craft what they So, testimony what do you what do, you do, do about it? What do you do about it? How do you handle it? I typically will, at least the first time, very politely say, counsel, I think that's pretty clearly a speaking objection. It's a coaching objection. It's trying to indicate to the witness how you would like them to answer the question, even if it's just an if you know. That's been held to be coaching objections. I'm asking you as a professional not to do it. And if that doesn't solve it and they do it again, I'll say something like that again, but a little bit more assertively and say, look, I'm going to make a record of you doing it every single time. So I have a record for the court to show in what it looks like is going to be a subsequent motion that's going to get filed. If you don't stop it, It's going to get to a point where the depot has to end. What is your remedy that you would ask for in that kind of emotion? You know, I'm not going to ask for the party's pleadings to get stricken or something. I really just want to neuter the lawyer so that they won't do it anymore. Right. It can be, so judge, I had to terminate the depot. I need to take it again. I would like an order advising and warning counsel not to do this anymore in further depots and that this depot needs to be taken and it's completely at their cost that it has to happen again and I should get attorney's fees and expenses for this and putting in an order that there will be sanctions if it happens again and if it's really egregious saying, judge, I don't know what to do. We need to conduct the deposition in your court with you overseeing it. And judges don't want to do that.
0: Yeah, and we're talking about the really, really egregious egregious examples of that.
1: Most times in my experience, you know, lawyers will test if they can get away, especially with the if-you-know stuff. I find most attorneys, if you say it a couple times, they tested you. They won't do it anymore. There's some lawyers that there's just nothing you can do. They're going to do it. They're going to do it, and you can't stop them. Yeah, and
0: I've done this, and I agree, Tim. That's a great way to handle it. I do the same thing with a polite request. Second one's more of a warning. And I'll get to a point if it continues where I'll say, look, if this happens again, I've got better things to do. We're going to stop the deposition and go see the We're judge. Going to go
1: see the judge. I may have done that once or twice, but 99.9% of the time, if I ask, it just doesn't happen. And especially, here's something else I put on the record, because it clarifies there is no reason for them doing it except for an improper purpose. After a couple times, after I have politely asked them not to do it, the second or third time, I'll ask again a little bit more assertively and I'll say, look, let me solve your problem. I understand you're saying you have to make sure you make your records to preserve them. I stipulate on the record that any and all objections on any and all bases to every single one of my questions is preserved for the record. So you have no reason to say anything unless you think I'm harassing the witness. And the only purpose for you doing so is to try to direct their answers. Do you accept that stipulation?
2: Yeah, you know, I found that there's a range of these things. Some are far more egregious than others. Some are you know, good faith attempts. Do you mean at the time of the accident or do you mean ever in their life? You know, things like that where you're trying to get a clarification of the question. And that's f-
1: I'm okay with that. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. It's like, you know what? That's a good point. I don't want my question to be vague. As long as I don't think they're trying to like, you know, obstruct. I'll go, you know what? That's a good point. Let me break it up into two questions.
0: So tip number 48, if the witness is intentionally being evasive and not answering your question, make a record and end the deposition. Yeah. I'll tell you, I had an example recently, and it hasn't happened to me very often. And again, maybe once or twice, but this was a witness, professional testifier who just wouldn't answer questions. And you
1: kept and, asking him and, and begging I, him. I, the, I lawyer, the other lawyer was yeah. frustrated too, right? Yeah, his
0: own lawyer was frustrated, but... He just wouldn't answer the question. And I think I maybe asked it six or seven times. And at that point, just ended the deposition and had a very good record. And I got a call shortly after that, good lawyer on the other side, very professional, called and acknowledged that that's what he had observed happening. And we were able to reconvene the deposition. And it didn't happen. We got the deposition done.
2: Did you think there might be
0: a risk? that
2: a judge might say, well, you had your chance and you should have. Yes, gone on. yeah,
0: I considered that. We were well into the depth. I'd gotten what I needed and this witness was one that was coming to trial. They had no choice other than to bring this witness. In conclusion, on these issues, witness conduct maybe is what we're calling it. I would say always keep your cool, always be professional and remember, you can't make anybody do anything. You can't make that witness answer the question. You can't make the other lawyer not you speaking objections. All you can do is make a record, and discontinue the deposition. And that's really what your options are. Here's the cool thing about it is the judge doesn't need to take anybody's word for it. You're making a record. The judge can actually read your question and read the non-answer, okay? You really think if you were getting an answer to the question, you'd ask the damn thing 15 more times? (laughs) Of course not, okay? If you got your answer to the question, you'd move on. Who would continue asking the same question if they got an answer, legitimately got an answer? So stay cool, stay calm, stay professional, and recognize what remedies are
2: available to you during the deposition. This is tip number 49. Don't let other attorneys rattle you at the deposition and make you think you got to hurry up or you got to get the thing done. I remember this when I was a young attorney, there would be attorneys in the room tapping their pens on the table, stretching and yawning out loud. How much longer are you going to be and stuff like that? And I think it's really important when you're new as an attorney To just expect that that might happen it's boorish behavior it's not responsible it's not respectful just know you're going to take as long as it needs to get your job done absolutely don't get up from that table until you've asked all your questions yeah i agree final one is about all of us i guess doing all of what we do you know we keep having podcasts where we talk about you know health and sleep and all that kind of stuff this is really tough work to have a good deposition so Make sure you go unprepared as far as having a good night's sleep, having eaten enough. You know, we see it in our witnesses sometimes. I had a deposition with an elderly woman a couple of weeks ago where she was getting wobbly just because she was tired. Her answers were not crisp. And so I guess number 50 is make sure that you are in the proper place to give a deposition. Well rested. Make sure you're not hungry. Make sure you don't have other things on your mind. Be well focused.
1: Yeah. If you're cranky and tired and you're in a bad mood, you can't do any of the other tips that we've talked about.
0: So it was fun talking about this, and I hope this helped or you learned something from it. That concludes our deposition tips. All right. That's been another episode of The Jury is Out. I'm Eric Veith. I'm John Simon. I'm Tim Cronin. See you next time. The Jury is Out is brought to you by The Simon Law Firm. Share your thoughts with John, Tim, and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law. Subscribe today because the best lawyers never stop learning.